The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I am an athlete and coach in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys who just had their first day of school of third grade, and I am a college professor. 
My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. I also have children, neither, uh, none of them actually, <laughs> since there's three, uh, are back in school, unfortunately, but looking forward to that soon. And I am a CPA who owns my own business now. So right on high <laughs> echelon, baby. <laughs> Which actually, strangely I think my, uh, is, is my not website. a sponsor of the podcast yet. What's going on with that? Well, we could work on that. I'm feeling a little bit of imposter syndrome without a really good website, which is right. funny because I came from a background of like, you don't really need marketing and almost everybody that comes to me is, is word of mouth and all the statistics, you know, about a website, they just want to know how to contact you. Right. Like they're right. not going to read anything. Um, but we've been working really for about as long as since the day I left, um, to launch a website and, I think it might launch tomorrow. I even hesitate to say that because uh, this podcast is also coming out tomorrow, but we've spent hours <laughs> and hours and hours uh, on the copy and everything. So right. I'm excited about that. I'll feel like more of a real business owner, I think, once I have a, a real website. So I'm pretty excited. As, as, I mean, I agree with you. That's a weird thing to say, but at the same time, I totally understand what you're saying. Like I can't yeah. explain. I can't explain that. Yeah, I get it though. Hopefully nobody, none of my clients listen, but we're going to a conference <laughs> at the end of August. <laughs> and of all the things that I can um, take away from or bring to the people at the conference, I'm terrified of going there and like giving them a business card and it's got my, you know, web address on it. But the website right now is literally just a coming soon. Right. <laughs> so it's right. just, I can't wait to just get over this. Uh, it feels like this final hump and just feeling or being official, even though it's not sure. actually going to change my day-to-day -day, uh, reality at all. So well, it's, it's, it's like the 2022 version of actually opening your shop, you know, it um, feels that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and so, so it's just like, if you were opening a clothing store or like a retail operation, um, you wouldn't feel real until you actually were opening it and people were coming inside and looking around and considering buying things, stuff like that. I mean, this is sort of the, this is the, yeah. the 21st century version of that. Right. It, yeah. it's something like that. There, there's something about it that is, uh, that paralyzes me a little bit, not having it. So I'm really looking forward to having it and just keeping doing what I'm doing. It's not going to change what I'm doing at all. So very good. But it'll I, help hopefully. So I get it. Well, I, I look forward to it being up. very cool. Very cool. And I'm, I'm glad you're continuing to move forward with high echelon. Super exciting here. Um, how's everything else going for you? How's your running? Um, well, I think I've said I was going to do this ever since you and Patrick did it, however many years ago. I think it was pre-pandemic, but I finally scheduled my sweat test with SlayRx. Sweet. Sweet. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about SlayRx in the next few weeks because I'm going to have a, a first time hands-on experience with um, figuring out you know, my sweat rate and stuff like that. So cool. I'm doing that as a way to uh, kind of just up the ante a little bit, um, figure out what I want to do next, but I really have struggled. I think a lot, um, since about Chicago, 2018 with just hydration, dehydration. I don't know what it is. It just feels like it could be better, better dialed in. And, um, you know, we have the people and the resources, so I'm excited cool. to, to do that. I'm so, excited about that too. I didn't realize you were, you had that on the, the, short-term docket. So I'm, I'm excited yeah. to do that and talk to That's, you about it. And 
happening take, in take, two take, weeks. Take an easy day the day before. <laughs> so she asked me, um, do I need the room set at anything specific? Do I have a specific race, you know, and like, what is the weather going to be? And I said, oh, I don't want to, <laughs> whatever the baseline is, looked, looked pretty rough to me <laughs> based off what I remember from George and Patrick. So yeah. I'm good with just, you know, you can just set it how you'd set it to get a baseline mine, so. mine was set i can't remember and i'm sure i said it on the podcast so i could go back and listen to it but it was set somewhere between 85 and 88 um, the temperature or the, the temperature humidity was yeah <laughs> um and then the the um and i i rode the bike and he ran and then i remember i did a series of repeats using trainer road um at 85 percent of my ftp which would be running wise would be probably about marathon pace something like that Right. Um, and uh, it was so hard. I had to reduce it halfway through, like back way, way off. I mean, I it just I struggled. Uh, and so of course, I just sweat everywhere, which is the point. She said I'm running for an hour. So mm -hmm. make sure, I, you know, I bring what to be entertained because I'm not stopping. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> so how how like what pace is she going to put me at? Or she know. decides that. So uh, I, I, I don't know, actually, but um, if Patrick, she said Patrick something said he like... ran something up tempo. It wasn't half marathon pace. Certainly it wasn't anything nearly that hard, um, but, but it was something up tempo. So it was something Can you in imagine the neighborhood of marathon pace. My reaction. If she tells me to run tempo pace, I'm going to be like, this is a whole uh... conversation. <laughs> like <laughs> one minute, please. We back up. How do you define tempo pace? This is exactly. a, we got, we got big problems here, Amy, Exactly. <laughs> but no, anyway, I'm looking forward to it. So. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I have a, um, a friend um, who did his first Ironman earlier this year at Ironman Texas. Um, he's on the Blue Ridge Relay team with uh, with Eric and with me. Um, and he's when he's coming down here for the Blue Ridge Relay in five weeks, he is going to uh, get a sweat test around that same time as well. Um, and so I'm excited for him to do that too. Um, I need to, uh, before you go, remind me, because I need to get a Slayer X singlet for okay. the London Marathon. I should be able to pick that up. For I you. think so. And I'm going to get you to pick it up for me because yeah, and August 1st, I kind of marked August 1st on my calendar as, okay, we're going to turn it up a notch as far as like the training for the London Marathon goes on August 1st. And that was even before I got sick in June. I was like, all right, August 1st, we're going to like really start getting serious and make sure that we're, we're focused on all the things we need to focus on. So, uh, yeah, I've been listening to Legacy of Speed, that that uh, new Malcolm Gladwell podcast, which is about the 1968 Olympics. So that kind of, you know, fuels my mindset. I've been reading um, um, Runaway Comrade, the uh, book about uh, by Bob D. Lamont, which is about the, uh, the Comrades Marathon. Um, and I've been thinking about the clothing I'm going to wear and the fueling I'm going to do and just all those sorts of things. So, so I thought we had chosen a singlet and I wasn't so, aware that it was a Slay RX singlet. Well, well, I've gone back and forth on lots of different singlets. And yeah, so I'm, I am so, aware. So, so yeah, but, but this is part of me, like, like starting to take it seriously. And so I've looked at several different things. My sons weighed in on their opinion. Um, and so we'll see, but I definitely want to introduce a Slay RX singlet in there. I also feel like, and you will appreciate this, Michelle, I'm, I'm looking into multiple different options for what I'm going to do in the month of November, because I feel like it's October 2nd or 3rd is when that marathon is the London marathon. And I can't just like be, all right, I'm done for 2022 now. Like that's way too early to be done for 2022. Even though the Tokyo marathon is fairly early in 2023, I still feel like I need to do something fairly ambitious in November. 
So I thought so, we so, were going to so, go so to maybe, Pine so maybe Mountain. Maybe I'll need my slate clear for that one. Pine Mountain's in December. Oh, so then what's November? Exactly. <laughs> I think there, I think we, what if like, I don't know, maybe there's just a big training run in Alabama or something. There is. Like maybe a, there doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be so official. It can just be um, productive. Maybe, maybe, or maybe it can be official. <laughs> there is a, 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 a trail race in um, Asheville that I've had on my radar for a long time that opened up its registration on, um, on the first three days ago. What are you holding out on me? It's called the, it's called the shut-in trail race, Asheville shut-in trail race. Um, and it goes from the Biltmore and follows the trail up to the hunting preserve of George Vanderbilt back in the day. Um, and so it has 5,000 feet of climbing over the course of 18 miles. Yeah. Um, It goes into Pisgah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I did put my name in the lottery for that, um, which I'm pretty sure I'll get since I did it on the first day. But um, so that's on the first weekend of November, like literally November 1st or 2nd or something like that. Um, and so, uh, so why I wouldn't you like tell me that you did that? Yeah, that was my mistake. I'm sorry. <laughs> can we pause I, the podcast actually, so I, I can put my name in the lottery? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, go kidding. ahead and do it right now. I'm serious. <laughs> Podcast back on. You registered, Michelle? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I mean, um, it's one thing if you're going to run like the Blue Ridge Relay into Asheville with all of your like college homeboys. It's another thing if you just sign up for a solo race and don't, you know, keep me posted. You know so. what? Fair point, Michelle. I apologize for that. <laughs> I actually really should have mentioned that to you because this really is in your bailiwick. So I apologize. Um, but uh, but yeah, okay, good. So now you're on the list too. It's still the fourth. Still got 10 more days for other people to sign up behind you and stuff. So all right, awesome. cool. So fingers crossed that we both get in and we'll find that out the uh, the week after registration closes on August 14th. And maybe we'll both go up there and slay our ex gear. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Very good. Very good. Um, well, cool. We have a lot of different things we're going to talk about, I guess. This is uh, one of those sort of update podcasts because we I was at the beach. I was out of town last week. And the week before that, we talked about the book of the quarter and the week before that. Yeah. So uh, just kind of catching up on all sorts of various things that are going on in the world of endurance sports right now. What are we going to talk about first? Uh, We could just do a soft reminder that we picked a new book of the quarter. Um, It's how she did it. Stories, Mm -hmm. advice, and secrets to success from 50 legendary distance runners by Molly Huddle and Sarah Slattery. Um, And I think uh, George is already into it a little bit. Not really. Um, no, I, but it's I, by like, your I bed. Bar- I barely started reading it, but then I, I've, I've gotten sucked into Runaway Comrade instead. But Got but it. but I, I I will read it. Yeah, and because cool. don't forget, you know, book of the quarter. There's only two more months in the quarter now. Um, since I know. we since we like put it off, and then if we end up putting this one off for like an th- additional three weeks or a month or something like that, we might end up with only three books of the quarter, which should bother the accountant. <laughs> that would be that'd be really tough for me to swallow um exactly. i'm gonna make sure it doesn't happen my my audible credit just came through for the month so oh, i'm pretty nice. excited to to hit download on that so um so so are you are you gonna try and listen to this one as well as as read it um i think so i like right. to start with the audible and if i don't like it or i don't it's a matter of whether i like who's reading um then mm-hmm. typically i'll move to a book um i actually am still <laughs> reading out of thin air uh, on the kindle i just started over again for mm. what like the fourth time um <laughs> i can't we're not going to go into that but yeah so i'm enjoying that on the kindle so i'll right, let cool. you know what medium i choose for this once All i right, cool. figure it out so yeah 
I tried to listen to a book um, about the the economics of soccer um, well, uh, several years awful. ago, and it it was super interesting. I mean, I I really enjoyed it. It was one of it was a recommendation of our uh, our former co-host Patrick Ollinger, um, and and I thought it was great. But the problem was is that they had all of these graphs and figures and charts, and in an audio book, they literally just read the chart. They said, yeah, that's column weird. one, column two, figure three, figure four. And I'm like, oh, and like I got to where I was literally fast forwarding through all of those. Yeah, um, I need the visual. But but the book, the book itself, though, the stuff that was in the book was fascinating. It was um, it was basically like the it was like Moneyball for soccer. Um, but but super interesting stuff. Um, but yeah, I just didn't know whether 50 stories, since it's kind of vignettes, if that's going to lend itself well to, to audiobook format or, or not. So I'll yeah. let you uh, I'll let you that's get it started. Point. You can let me know um, who reads it. Do they read it? I'm not sure. I haven't downloaded it yet. So you like me like it when the author actually reads it. I do. Yeah. Um, so um, which our friend Danielle Friedman did, um, which she we did. both appreciated. So yeah, uh, shout out once again to Danielle Friedman friend of the podcast who is always putting cool things on her Instagram. She does have good, uh, good social feeds. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I pretty much just go on Instagram to see what's going on in my son's new classroom and see what Danielle Friedman has posted. <laughs> Seems fair enough. <laughs> so right on, right on. Um, let's talk about the world championship. Um, uh, well, should we talk about the world championship? Or should we talk about Tour de France? I mean, come on. <laughs> i mean is this a running podcast or is it a cycling podcast it's an endurance sports podcast gonna have to make a hard decision in this moment it's an endurance sports podcast but definitely as i have run more over the course of the past several years it has it has skewed more towards running let's talk real quickly about the tour de france um okay. and so so you ended up watching a lot of the first part of the tour and you kind of ran out of steam on it i know um yeah i think once I went on a road trip and then um, I just traveled a lot the last two weeks. So I kind of lost, lost my hold on it, but it was great what I watched. It, it's, it's, this is going to sound stupid, but to me, the fact that it's hard for us as viewers to maintain the energy to focus on the tour de France for three weeks always brings back to me how much, it, how hard it must be to actually ride the tour de France. I know. <laughs> you know? I was actually thinking about that a lot. I, I just, it's, it's just, so long yeah. i don't know yeah and and every day like really matters um ultimately it was won by by jonas vingegaard from denmark and so it's kind of cool that it started in copenhagen and then it would end up being won by a dane um vingegaard finished second last year um and won the um or finished second last year um and then this year uh won overall he um won two stages uh, on his way on both of those stages. He put some distance between himself and Tadej Pogacar. Um, Pogacar, you'll remember during our preview with Justin and Justin, we all kind of <laughs> agreed that he was definitely the favorite and none of us wanted to bet against him, but maybe we should have bet against him because he ended up finishing second this year being distanced by Jonas Vingegaard. Um, uh, he did Pogacar still win the, uh, uh, white jersey, which goes to the best young rider, um, because Vingegaard was so strong in the mountains, he ended up winning the polka dotted king of the mountains jersey as well. Um, and his teammate from Jumbo Bisma, uh, uh, Wout Van Aert, won both the green jersey for points um, and the overall combat uh, combativity award um that they give to whoever is the most aggressive rider throughout the entire tour um and that was a very well-deserved award as it turns out so yeah what were you gonna say well 
I didn't know any of those names a month ago and now I can pronounce <laughs> them all. Yeah. And I feel pretty good about it. But so. I think uh, if people haven't seen um, Vingegaard's Welcome Home, that yeah. picture that was posted um, yeah. is unbelievable. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cycling is important. Like if you, it just the, so many people i mean it was just like it gives me chills just talking about it so. yeah yeah it's a, it's a picture of him wearing the yellow jersey and he's out on like essentially like a porch um in in, in copenhagen of a, yeah. of a hotel or something and the square that the, the porch overlooks or the balcony overlooks be is just hundreds of thousands of people there yeah it looks like the pc road race it's insane yeah <laughs> I mean, but but just wall-to-wall people all all cheering way for way and, more spread out than four so, to six lanes of peach street but yeah yeah similar. yeah you're right um but no it, it was insane it's very cool and it's um i i was uh i was excited to see him win for a variety of reasons um not the least of which is the fact that he was so widely appreciated and his win clearly meant a lot to the people who were just on fire for cycling already and on fire for the tour de france already given the fact that the first three stages of the tour were in denmark um and so that was very cool to see um, but you're also say. just happy that Pogacar didn't win. I am actually. Yeah. So, 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 so then uh, I, I have to admit that there, there's a part of me that's just kind of a bit of a hater when it comes to, 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 to Tati Pogacar. Um, and if anybody didn't pick up on that during the, the preview of, of the Tour de France, then. No, we will, got it, George. All right. Good, <laughs> we got good. It. I was going to say then, then I'll go ahead and just own it right now. But also the, the, the thing that makes people like Justin Dugan really like him is that he's impulsive um, and and doesn't really think through things and and just attacks um, and, and is aggressive all the time. And that kind of annoys me. Sure. <laughs> um, and so so and, and that might suggest that that I'm a curmudgeon and and I may well be uh, definitely not as much as our friend Eric, who is not here. Um, but um, but I particularly in the Tour de France, particularly in three week long Grand Tours, you have to be very calculating um, and you can't just attack all the time and you can't just uh, uh, be what I perceive to be kind of immature. Um, and so he did what he always does and just sort of attacked with abandon and, and didn't really think through any sort of strategy or anything else like that. And he paid for it. Um, it, it wore him out and, and he got dropped on two different occasions in the mountains by, by Jonas Vingegaard um, and then was also beaten by Vingegaard in the, uh, the final time trial. Um, so, so yeah, for me, I, I, I like seeing him get beaten for the reason that I think that, that annoys me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, so, so sure. to me, that's his Achilles heel. And to see that be a cause of his downfall, uh, I thought was, was fitting. Um, so, so yeah. Um, and then Walt Van Art is just insane. Um, I mean, just his ability is just off the charts. It's incredible. I thought um, it was, he was fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. He was, um, seeing for him, it's okay to be a little bit uncalculated and aggressive and kind of yeah, I don't understand because Why? he's, he, because well, he's not, because he's not going after the yellow Jersey because he's not trying to Got win it. the yellow Jersey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, um, and so, so for him, it's, it's just sort of a different set of calculations. Um, but Tati Pogacar has to kind of choose who he wants to be. And, and up to the, at least this point in his career, he's been able to kind of be both of those things to be that sort of aggressive and carefree and, and impulsive racer, um, but still strong enough to win races. And both in the Tour of Flanders and in the Tour de France now, um, he lost races where he probably could have won um, because he was stupid. Um, and uh, I find that interesting. 
So yeah, but this is also the reason why cycling is fascinating and fun to watch. Um, that you know the strongest riders don't always win. Um, it made it profoundly frustrating to do um, to actually be <laughs> to actually be a bike racer and know that you are stronger than a lot of people in the race, but knowing that the way the race turned out and the tactics end up influencing so much of the character of the race, um, that can be very frustrating to actually experience. But it's fun to watch. <laughs> so what do these guys do now? Like, is there, is there another tour coming or yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. shut it down for a little bit? So, so not quite yet. Um, there's, well, first of all, the first thing they do is they go on these like victory tours, um, around Europe where they do what are called these criteriums, which are mostly like night races. And they're mostly like in town squares. And a lot of them wear their jerseys that they won in the tour de France. And so like Jonas Vingegaard would actually wear the yellow Jersey. Um, and the races are totally rigged where they let him win and stuff like that. And they all get these <laughs> massive appearance fees. And so it's almost like, it's like the pro wrestling wing of, of pro cycling. Um, they do that for a few weeks and just bank all this money. Um, and then there's a series of other races. Um, the tour of Spain, um, is in September. Um, and they'll be doing that, um, August and September, uh, Primoz Roglic has won the last three editions of the tour of Spain. Um, and he struggled in the first part of the tour of France and he'll drop out and he's probably going to do the tour of Spain again. And he's probably going to be favorite to win again. Um, he kind of has the, the, the formula that helps him win that race, but he just can't quite figure it out in France. Um, and then the world championship is in late September. Um, Got it. um, and then there's a couple more races after that, and then they shut it down come, come Winter. October, November. Yeah. Um, but then they, these days they start back up in January. Um, and so cycling season's come pretty long. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's fun to watch, fun to watch. And then of course the last day on the Champs-Élysées, um, they have the big sprint there. Um, and this year for the first time, they actually started the Tour de France Femmes on the same day they ended the men's Tour de France. Um, and so on the same the, the afternoon there, the evening, the men all finished on the Champs-Élysées doing laps of the Champs-Élysées. And in the morning, the women all started by doing laps on the Champs-Élysées. Um, and so that was kind of cool to, to, to see that. Did you watch any of the Tour de France films of X Zwift? Literally nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I have no, no, I never got a chance to watch any of it. Um, but why, you know, I know that they brought it back after um, like whatever, a 30 year, 33 yeah, 30 year absence. Yeah. Um, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's different than it was 33 years ago. So yeah. my question is, is if the men are going 21 stages and right. the women are going eight, is that right. how it always was? Was that the difference? It was actually like even less ago? than that. Yeah. It was actually even less than that. Um, the women went less, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, so eight stages is as long of a race as you will find on the women's calendar. An eight okay. stage stage race is about as aggressive and about as arduous as you will find on the women's racing calendar for pro cyclists, um, for, for, for world tour women cyclists. Um, and so, so it, it's, you know, a significant challenge for sure. Um, um, I think that, that I initially had thought it was kind of cool. And I think a lot of us did thought it was kind of cool that, that they like dovetailed it with the tour de France. And so that it's, it kicked off right as the men's tour was ending. Um, but in retrospect, as it turned out, I think that after giving three weeks to cycling, I, I didn't feel like I had eight more, like another week to give the cycling. Yeah. You know I, mean? I hear that. Sure. Um, and so I wonder whether it would be better off if they gave us a week break or if they did it in so, August or something else. Is it even question worthy? I know this is the first year that the senior women, uh, for cross will run, uh, the same, the 10, the full 10 K distance. Mm -hmm. Like, is this the same thing? 
in cycling? Like, do these women feel like they should also have a 21 stage tour or are they totally cool with just eight stages? No, there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely a lot of people who are like, it's not going to be the same until it's, you know, 21 stages for men and 21 stages for the women. The thing about it is, and, and this is, this is a criticism of cycling that's legitimate is that cycling is a really, really commercial sport. Um, sure. I mean, you just have to look at their jerseys and see all the different you know, sponsors on their jersey, you know how commercial it is. I mean, they're literally like riding billboards, but I mean, even like the legendary aspects of, of the tour, like the yellow color of the yellow Jersey, they made the yellow Jersey, the yellow Jersey. Cause that was the same color as the paper that the um, sponsor of the Tour de France was printed on, oh, right? Okay. Uh, and yeah. like the polka dotted jersey was the same as the wrapper of a chocolate bar that sponsored the first polka dotted jersey, right? And so it's like, I mean, commercialism of the Tour de France is so deeply woven into it. Um, and I, I, I say that to say that if they're not going to make money from it, if it doesn't prove to be profitable, they will not hesitate to to throw it away. It. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I know at the beginning of this, the uh, Tour de France director basically came out with just a pretty straightforward warning that said, um, if the women's tour lost money, it would end up like the women's tour in the eighties and just basically mm-hmm. die. Right. And so what do you think, like, what are though. the results of that now? Cause yeah, everything though. that I've read yeah. Yeah. says that it was a huge hit. Yeah. Yeah. No, it had a huge share, particularly, I think, um, like all the jerseys, including the yellow jersey, were won by uh, Dutch riders from the Netherlands. And I think the the final stage, so stage eight, where uh, Annemiek van Vluten won the stage and she won both stage seven and stage eight. And she won the final stage in the yellow jersey to clinch the race, um, had like like a 49 percent television audience share or something like that in, in the Netherlands incredible. or something. I mean, can you that's imagine? Awesome. Um, yeah. and that's, I mean, that's, that's people always talk about like the Tour de France is like the Super Bowl of, of cycling. Well, in the Netherlands, the women's Tour de France was literally like the Super Bowl of cycling, like it is here, at least in terms of television ratings. Um, and so, yeah, super cool. Um, that's awesome. But, but yeah, um, whether that actually means revenue though, I don't know, just because I don't know enough about the business. Um, so we'll see. I think that, you have some sponsors like Zwift, for example. I, I, this is Zwift was obviously a, a title sponsor. I mean, it was literally the Tour de France films of Vex Zwift, um, and and I think Zwift is not in it necessarily for the money. I think they're in it to promote cycling, and I think in turn they believe that that will get more people onto their indoor cycling platform, and that's how it's going to be like profitable for them. Um, but I, but I think there's lots of cycling or lots of sponsors. Um, including the private company ASO that, that runs the races. It's not a you know public company um, that that like they 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 care about social justice <laughs> and they right. and they and they want to promote cycling worldwide. Sure, um, but but it's a business, um, and so when it comes down to it, if it's not profitable, then then they won't continue to do it. Um, the, the private companies that run these big races have a history of butting heads with the international governing body of cycling because they have different priorities. The international governing body of cycling wants to spread cycling and wants to promote cycling and things like that. And these companies want to make money. Um, Everybody so, wants to make money. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Just end of so, the story. Yeah. But, I'm afraid you're right, um, but we'll see. We'll see. No. So while these men and women were cycling all across uh, Europe, 
<laughs> Mike Wardian was running, was running across, across the United, United States. States yes. I, we need to get Mike Wardian on the podcast. Um, I can't even comment on that comment. I know. I know you are. You are so much better about grabbing the brass ring and inviting people on the podcast. Obviously, but than I, I don't have Mike Wardian in my text boxes. I know. I know. I need to. I need to to reach out to Mike Wardian. So, send so me his phone number. So, so Michael Wardian live ultra runner extraordinaire. Um, and, and Michael Wardian, who, who has won multiple races, um, and runs about 50 races a year, the majority of which are marathon distance or longer. Um, but more than that, he has established his personal brand as being kind of an off the wall, uh, ultra runner. Um, he lives in my sister's neighborhood in Arlington, Virginia, and his younger son shares a bus stop with my middle niece. Um, and so they know each other well. Um, and uh, my sister, even at a silent auction back in 2017 uh, at their elementary school, uh, bid and won a run with Michael Wardian that she then gifted <laughs> to me. But because I live, you know, 700 miles away from there, I haven't actually cashed it in yet. And so what I need to do is reach out to him and say, hey, you know how you owe me that run that my sister bought in that silent auction in 2017? How about we cash that in with a podcast uh, yeah. instead? So it, it's like ready made for me to do it. And I still can't bring myself to do it. I don't know why. Um, I know, but anyway, it's very frustrating. All right. Well, see, as we say all these sorts of things and then like be on the lookout for like next week on the podcast, Mike Wardian. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, Michael Wardian uh, fulfilled a, a what he called a lifelong dream, at least uh, uh, for his adult dream. He did what he called he called Michael Wardian's run home. <laughs> um, um, but on he left on uh, Sunday, the May 1st um, from the City Hall in San Francisco. Um, and just ran across the United States. Um, uh, never had um, a time goal necessarily. Um, fast and on time, by the way, I never knew this, uh, was by uh, Pete uh, Kostelnik um, at 42 days, six hours and 30 minutes, um, which is kind of incredible actually, uh, to go 3,200 3, miles. Um, yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Um, but, uh, he was going to run all the way to Delaware, basically, um, along the way he stopped by his house in Arlington. That was like with about a week to go. He stopped off in Arlington there. Um, and then he, uh, ran through Maryland and, uh, knocked out the very last one early in the morning on, uh, July the 6th. Um, he, uh, I think it was July the 6th, wasn't it? Or, or was it July 4th? It was right then. No, it was, I think it was, well, on July 4th, I was literally in bed. <laughs> I don't have any concept of July 4th, 5th, and 6th, but by the time I came back from the dead, he was done with his run. So All it's right, right around then. <laughs> right around that time. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, ended up averaging 57, just over 57 miles a day uh, through 13 states, 3,200 miles, um, uh, was raising money um, and had raised uh, $116,000 is ultimately how much money he raised. Um, uh, for, uh, world visions, clean water projects around the world, which is cool. Um, um, but, uh, ran with people all along the way, folks would come out, come out and join him. They would see like where he was on Strava, um, and stuff like that. And they come out and join him for very, for different things. Um, he said he's mostly so solo. He told, uh, I run far after they interviewed him afterwards. And he said, Oh, it was the best. I read about 35 audiobooks." <laughs> um, he said, I've become a connoisseur of music. Um, and he said he listened to a lot of Johnny Cash and Metallica and Megadeth and uh, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. So um, <laughs> Megadeth yeah, and Taylor he, Swift on the same uh, on the same playlist. Not bad. He had a fundraising goal of a hundred thousand dollars, and he exceeded it. Um, but are you surprised? I mean, when I when I went to go check this, I was surprised that he only 
you know, he was only 116,000 of a hundred thousand dollar gold. Like part of me sometimes can't figure out somebody sets, you know, kind of a, like an audacious goal. And sometimes they exceed it by like 500% or something. Right. Mm-hmm. It just, the money just floods, 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 yeah. but it felt like he really had to work to get to this hundred thousand dollar mark. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. On the one, like it's I just, mean, is it just not a cause that like, do people really need to be able to like relate to the cause on a personal level? It almost seems like when, when people do this in memory of somebody or like as a result of a death or something like that, that the fundraising is easy and out of control, but it felt like he really had to work for mm-hmm. to fundraise these funds. Yeah. And let's, and let's, let's not say that $116,000 is nothing. That's fantastic. And I'm no, sure for that, sure. I'm sure that they'll be, they'll, they, they will use, oh, yeah. put it to good use. Um, World Vision will definitely put it to good use, but yeah, I think definitely people, um, definitely people will rally not only to your charity, but also to your reasoning. Um, I mean, cause so when my, when my wife did race cross for America, um, you know, a lot of people would, would, would say, here, we're going to give you some money to, to help you raise charity. They raised money for a charity called camp twin lakes. We raised yeah, money sure. for, for camp twin lakes. Um, and, and a lot of people would, would give money, um, in part because of the charity and they, they appreciated the charity, which provided a camp experience, like a sleepaway camp experience for handicapped kids, which is yep. super cool for children with disabilities. Um, but, but more than that, they would say, I'm inspired by what you're doing. And I thought a lot about that at that time, like the idea of, of running across the United States or riding across the United States or something like that is being inspiring. Um, and I think that a lot of people gave money because of that too. They just, they appreciated like, you're, you're doing this shows that people can do this. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I guess I in that regard, with people too. Um, 10 and, years later though, it feels like a lot of people just run across the United States. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know to answer your question. I don't, I don't know. Um, um, I, I was actually surprised he raised as much as he did, honestly. Um, yeah. Just because maybe I've, I've forgotten how much money there is out there to be raised because there certainly is a lot. Um, but, but to me, I felt like it's, it's, it's not dramatic and it's a long time. It's two months, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but clearly there was a vibrant enough community out there that was following along with him and, and pledging money along the way and, and, and things like that. So, um, in Michael Wardian fashion, he, uh, he ran turned around and... miles on the last day. Um, yeah. well, that's different. Yeah. He ran 104 miles on the last day. He literally ran through the entire state of Delaware in a single day. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. He, he started like on that's... the Delaware, Maryland border yeah. on the last day, uh, and then just knocked it out with a, with a 104 mile run, uh, that took him nearly 24 hours there on that last day. Um, and then last, likewise, he ran 616 for his last mile. <laughs> why not uh, why not exactly right <laughs> um and so he was clearly ready to be done um but at the same time yeah i mean that's just kind of but like i said that's just that, to me that feels so on brand for mike wardian to be uh doing 104 like can't just run across the united states you have to run across the united states and do it in some sort of unique and almost sort of mind-bending way yeah, yeah. so yeah it's a pretty good strava <laughs> yeah <laughs> For sure. Um, it's funny when you follow people that are doing this on Strava, because like Hella Sidibe, who we talked about before on this podcast, and then following Mike Wardy, you see it on Strava. And and it's it's not a straight line that they follow across the United States, but it's kind of a straight line. And so you'll see like the map and it'll just be like on Strava, it'll just be like a straight line, like literally no turns for the entire day. And you look at it, it's like, 
it's like 59 miles <laughs> yeah. and, and it's just a straight line on Strava. <laughs> just this point to point run. It's like, Oh yeah, just knocking out 59 miles here on your 40th day of your, of your trek across America. Uh, <laughs> um, we need to ask him what he fueled with. What he fueled with. And, uh, was he sore after? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and does he miss it? That was one thing that, um, oh, I felt yeah. like when we had Pat on the podcast and he reflected back on his time running across the country, yeah. um, you just, you know, you're in like a different world when you're out there yeah. and that's like your sole focus every single day. And then yeah. obviously he had to come back to Arlington, yeah. Virginia and, you know, be with his family and right. uh, do whatever he does just right. as a daily. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, yeah, you're right. And when, when we, and we talked about Pat about, or we talked to Pat about it on the podcast, he was talking about how he wanted to kind of go out and do it again. Like he wanted to try and recapture it. Yeah. I think it, he, he kind of missed it. Like you said. Right. Exactly. Um, and also I think it was, you know, even it had been almost a year or more since he had finished, but it felt like he was still kind of processing through it. So even, even more, uh, fuel to the fire to get Michael on the podcast, we can, we can give him a place to, to help process. (laughs) Actually. And, and I, I mentioned the fueling part. Um, I say that not only because, you know, I would want to plug Slayer X for him, but, but also because he's a vegan. Um, and so it's funny whenever you see, um, like I remember I read an article in runner's world one time and it was asking all of these, uh, marathoners and ultra marathoners, like, what do you, what's your treat after a big run? And all of them are like, I eat like a giant pizza. And other ones are like, I'd like to drink, uh, you know, four beers. And, you know, I, I like to have a, a big cheesy burger and all that sort of thing. He was like, Oh, I really like a, a veggie burger. And, um, he likes his indulgence are these like high end squeeze juices. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, and so, so the other thing with him, of course, is that given that he runs more than 50 races a year, um, usually, you know, his big indulgence is also the week of his next big race. Um, and so while he's celebrating one, he's jumping into something else. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He doesn't, um, you know, he doesn't wear anything that shows like a fueling sponsor. So that would be a really cool question uh, to ask him what he fueled with so all right very good well folks write in and let us know what other questions you want us to ask him and maybe that'll put the pressure on me to actually invite him onto the podcast (laughs) i think i'm just going to keep the pressure on (laughs) you can do it all by yourself i think so (laughs) um let's talk about the world championship um uh, because there wasn't enough going on in july (laughs) exactly so in the world championship i i spent how great you watch so much George the the month of July is just a fantastic month I mean and I had a great month of July too you had the tour going on you had the world champions going on I watched I I was literally on Peacock switching back and forth between the tour and the world championships at one point I had the tour the 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 tour uh the tour de France films um I, I I did the new Walt Disney World immersive Star Wars experience like like I went on an inaugural cruise of a Disney ship July is just greatest time of the year, man. We'll talk about Christmas being so great. July is where it's at. I think you you made the most <laughs> of worlds because I think we or I woke up just about every day to uh, I can't believe you went to sleep on that two hundred <laughs> or I can't believe you didn't stay awake for the fifteen hundred. It's like George, every single round there was something major happening in this race. I agree. Yeah, they um, they, did, they did a good job of scheduling the meet. I mean, it was a long meet too. It was you know, ten, 10 days. days. It's yeah, a long time. Um, but they did a good job of scheduling and, and and putting out the finals in a way. But the finals, because it was in Oregon, which is three hours behind us, the finals Dude, every the night was basically between 10 and 11 every night. 
yeah, um, which is awesome. just way after you turn to a pumpkin. Uh, yeah, I do way better with like Beijing and Tokyo where <laughs> you've got to be up at 5 a.m. because it's happening prime time there or whatever. Um, but watching track meets in Eugene, I mean, it's hopeless for me. It's yeah. just, it's really hopeless. Um, for sure, for sure. But what were some of your uh, favorite moments? All you right. have some? There were several. There were several. Such good. I moments, wrote yours, so, so no, I'm so, just kidding. So you did. You you put a few, you you made a few guesses as to what were going to be my favorites. Uh, and the, the one that you didn't put was uh, was Sydney McLaughlin of the 400 meter hurdles. I was trying to give you one of three spots to put your own favorite moment. Okay, that's so. good. Uh, uh, no, there were. I mean. The 1500s were both incredible. The 10, I mean, every race was a good race. I mean, how, how, how often can you say that about a track meet? Um, no, it was incredible. It was yeah. really, it was incredible. Um, it was just a, a great, great track meet. But Sydney McLaughlin um, is, in my mind, like, you know, you think about people who are really good at their sport, right? And then you think about people who are so good at their sport that they must be one of the greatest athletes of all time. Right. Um, sure. And like, like Katie Ledecky is that way in swimming. Yep. Like Katie Ledecky is so brilliant and so dominant in, in middle and long distance swimming that she's not just one of the greatest swimmers of all time. She's clearly one of the greatest athletes of all time. She has what, like the top 27, 800 meter freestyle times of all time. I mean, does like, that include the ones that she just got like last week? Yeah. That includes yeah. The ones she just got like last week. <laughs> yeah. Imagine having the top 27 fastest times are all yours. And so that's insane. Um, and so clearly she's one of the greatest of all time. But anyway, I mentioned all that to say that I think that Sydney McLaughlin may be on her way to being in that category. I think she's still young enough that you, we can't quite say that yet. Um, but she, to me, is so dominant and so incredible um, at her event. Um, just she makes everybody else look like club runners. It's funny because every time I've ever watched Sydney McLaughlin run, she always kind of looks like she's doing a tempo run, you know? Yes. And, and, and she always kind of looks relaxed and then she literally runs a world record or she, she wins the Olympic trials or the, the, the national championship or whatever happens to be. Right. Um, and in Finally. this race, <laughs> like literally good. in the opening hundred, she had closed the stag on everybody. And I was like, Oh snap, we're about to see what she can do. Yeah. Um, and she was way in the lead by the 200 by the 300. Um, we had a friend who was there, um, and he took a picture of her. He was about at the hundred meter starting line. So about a hundred meters to go. So 300 meters into her race, he took a picture of her on the track and there was nobody else in the picture. Um, she was literally by herself on the track, um, at, at that point. And then she of course goes on to, to, uh, break her own world record, uh, fourth straight championship race in which she breaks her own world record. This time she broke it by 0.7 seconds, which is the most that the women's 400 meter hurdles world record has ever been broken by since it was first broken. And so in other words, you, you had, you had the very first record, which was like six seconds slower than, than, than the record now. And the first time that record was broken, because it was still a brand new event, it was broken by 0.7 seconds. And then now it's been run for decades and she broke her own record by 0.7 seconds. It's insane. But this time she did look winded. Yes. Like this, this time race, she was actually working for it. She was not trotting. Like yeah. she was, you yeah. know, in a full on gallop and yeah. over those hurdles, but yeah. she's, uh, she's one of a kind. I mean, it feels like an honor to get to, you yeah. know, as a fan of this sport to get to watch her in her prime. Um, and Absolutely. to be, you know, like follow her whole career, essentially. Absolutely. Um, 
Absolutely. So. And then, and then she went on to, uh, to anchor the women's four by four in 47, nine, <laughs> which, which would have finished sixth, sixth in the open 400, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. she's, yeah. I think we will see her move, uh, just to the open 400. I mean, she's no doubt, you know, she's, she's just, she could dominate. Um, but yeah, the, she's beautiful to watch run. The four by four was one of your favorite events, right? Yeah, I thought the four by four was just so awesome. Um, obviously, we talked a little bit about, you know, Allison Felix coming back for um, the mixed relay and she had her last race and she said her goodbyes and the crowd at Hayward loved her. And then, you know, I just saw it pop up on a feed um, that, you know, she was eating chicken wings and she got a call um, and, and drinking from, a root beer float. Yeah. From that, the... that, 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 so, so we were talking just a minute ago, what, what people eat after a big race that she was done with her final race and she was eating hot wings and, and well, eat, drinking root beer float. Yeah. She was just starting <laughs> to eat the hot wings and they asked her if she could come back up for the prelim. Um, and she said, she put the food down, <laughs> you know, left, left it at the restaurant geared up for, uh, Bobby gave her a few more workouts and then she went back and, um, she knew, you know, she likely wouldn't run in the finals. So she just made that commitment, uh, to help them in the prelim. And I thought it was amazing just to see her out there, you know, one last time. And mm-hmm. obviously everybody's like, well, what's next? And she's, you know, no, no, no guys, this is really it. I'm really done. But <laughs> yeah, I mean she came you, out you, you actually you texted us and said maybe she's gonna run the final um yeah she, did. she was, didn't well, she didn't but. she didn't run the final but i thought that because when she ran the prelim she ran a 50.16 which was the fastest time of the day um but obviously you know it's always it's always fun to watch uh the women relays and it's always even more fun when we win um so <laughs> allison didn't run the final but the final was pretty awesome um just kind of even on the first and second leg. And then the third leg, which was run by uh, Britton Wilson, broke it open. She ran under 50. And then, as you just mentioned, Sydney McLaughlin anchored it and ran like an absolutely spectacular 47.91. No big deal, guys. Um, So, yeah, that was awesome. That was one of my highlights. Abby Steiner was on that 4 by 4 too. Um, yeah. So, so is Abby Steiner tired yet? <laughs> right. No, a- Abby Steiner, who is one of my favorite athletes now. And so, so I love the way I, I like the because she's sponsored anyway. by Puma. <laughs> so that, that helps. Um, that helps so much. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but I, I just, I don't know, for some reason I've latched on to Abby Steiner over the course of the past couple of months and, and really just appreciate her. And I think she's a fantastic athlete. And so, yeah, the, the women's four by four having Sydney McLaughlin and Abby Steiner in it was just like, I was, yeah. I was, and, and the four by four is with, even without them, one of the greatest events in track and field. Um, and so you have to watch both of them on that. Abby Steiner finished, I think sixth in the open 200, of course, but then she, re- she ran a leg of the four by one and a leg of the four by four. And both of those were won by the United States. And so that was cool to watch for sure. Yeah. It's fun to get gold medals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, men's four by one didn't quite pull it off. Um, no, <laughs> um, they got beat by Canada of all places, <laughs> yeah, like, um, but, uh, but, but Canada had some, some brilliant passes, including most critically that third pass and the passes matter so much in the four by one. Um, and we botched that third pass and just couldn't quite close the gap there. Um, but then we won the four by four, the, the, the U S men won the four by four, which was, that was uh, exciting was for them. Thursday. So, um, Noah Lyles winning the men's 200 was fantastic. Um, uh, broke, broke the American record, um, ran faster than Michael Johnson, 
Um, and, and I was blown away by that. I don't think anybody saw that coming except for maybe his mom. Um, yeah. But, but I, I, funny. I, was, I was shocked by how, how fast you ran that. Yeah. It's funny, even though you're uh, going off my script here. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm realizing we are, we're like really not distance running fans when right? we recap our top moments from Worlds. Right. right. <laughs> like <laughs> what um, happened? Uh, well, the other stuff was just so exciting. Point taken, point taken. No, for sure. Um, the, uh, the, the men's 1500 was fun. Um, and so Jake really Whiteman fun. from, from Great Britain won um and who was a surprise victor for sure um jacob ingridson was the um was the favorite and and he ran to the front led for the last 800 900 meters um and was just out kicked by uh by jake whiteman who ran a tactically perfect race um found himself in the right position with 200 meters to go went ahead and ran aggressively ran past ingridson with 200 meters to go and ingridson just couldn't quite get him back it was um, the most tactically perfect race I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, not only because he pulled it off, but he also got kind of lucky. Um, you have yep. to get kind of lucky to be able yep. to have those lanes open up for you the way they did open for him. Um, and that, that was definitely fun to see Jake Whiteman. Two other thoughts about that. One, his dad was actually the stadium announcer there in Oregon. <laughs> it was amazing. If you, everybody, How does that should, happen? <laughs> everybody should go find the video of his father, keeping his cool. Like, I just don't even understand how he right. did it watching his son win that right. race. Oh, right. just gosh, that was amazing. It was super cool. And then, and then his mom, I see to me, I can understand how his dad could hold together, even though his dad like stands up and is watching it and it's like raising his arms, even as he's modulating his voice. Cause he's a yeah. stadium announcer. Right. But then his mom is 15 feet in front of his dad in the stands. And she's just going nuts. She's going crazy. Because <laughs> she's right. not a stadium announcer. So, um, and, yeah. and, and so he's sitting there watching his son win a world championship, watching his wife go insane. And, and he's somehow able to hold together. Yeah, super cool. I would um, So at the end of that video, and you can find it anywhere. I'm sure YouTube has a bunch of them. Sorry. Um, he... You know, when his father sits down at the end of it, he does kind of put his hands in his face and it's like, right. that's my son. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it's great because it also shows um, Jake coming up, you know, to get a congratulatory hug by his parents. And literally his father is Who's his coach you know, also his is saying in the same in, in the same breath that he gives him a hug and a kiss. And he's saying, don't forget Commonwealth games. Or he just right. says Commonwealth games is like a reminder, like, don't go out and drink those beers. Like you're not done yet, buddy. Right. Like the biggest moment of his career um, right. and his parents are focused on, you know, the next race at hand, but right. Right. yeah, it was great. It was. Um, the other thing I'll say about that is that there was another British guy in the final named Josh Kerr. Um, and Josh Kerr had run pretty impressively in the prelims and in the semifinals. Um, not so much that anybody necessarily thought he was going to win, um, but he like was making faces at the camera and was kind of mugging and, and making gestures and all that sort of thing. Um, and, and so a lot of people were interviewing him beforehand. And he actually said before the day before the final of 1500, um, if Ingridson tries to go and lead this, from 800 meters out, that's going to be a mistake. And I swear the reason why Ingridson did it is because he probably heard that and probably said, oh yeah, I'll show him. And so I'm wondering, first of all, I'm wondering whether that happened. I'm wondering whether Ingridson actually heard it and felt that there was a challenge. 
um, which I feel confident that he probably did. And secondly, I wonder whether Kerr actually calculated that way. I wonder if Kerr actually knew, not necessarily that Jake Whiteman was going to win, that his teammate was going to win, um, but just knew that the best way to, to fight against Jacob Ingbertson was to actually get inside his head by getting him to run an overly aggressive race from the front. Maybe. Maybe. Um, no. I kept thinking about earlier in the season when Ingbertson won right. and, you know, they him, Yeah, he was here and he said something like, well, you can't be upset because people just aren't better or people right. just, you know, what did he say? Right. People, no one's better than me. Or he said, he like, said, were you, he said, they said, were you, were you upset when nobody ran with you um, after the pace right. off? And he said, we can't be upset because people aren't faster. Right. Okay. Well, now, now you can be a little upset and he was upset. Right. And he was super upset. He actually went so yeah. far as to say he was embarrassed Yep. Um, was. by, by what he had experienced and, and, and by finishing second. Um, and so he comes back in the 5,000 meters and wins the 5,000 meters as, as recompense um, yeah. and ran and ran brilliantly there. I mean, he really did. He's a, you can't take anything away from Jake Ringerson. What a great runner um, he is. Um, I don't have, I don't have that sort of hater type feelings towards him that I do towards Tati Pogachar for sure. Um, but I was glad to see him win. All right. So before we go back to the sprints, <laughs> um, uh, what's wrong with the sprints? Let's, 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 yeah. Right. Uh, let's imagine talking about the 10,000 meters here on our, on our distance podcast um, or our podcast that's hosted by two distance runners um, and one ultra distance runner. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, both the 10,000 meters were great and it was fun to see Grant Fisher mixing it up and finishing. I mean, just literally arm's length from yeah. a medal, He's um, just... um, finished fourth. He finished fifth last year in the Tokyo Olympics in the 10,000 meters finished fourth this year in the, uh, Hayward field, the Oregon world championship. So just knocking on the door, man. I was going to say that term knocking on the door. Um, <laughs> do you think there's anybody, do we have any American in the 5k or 10k that even just comes close to the talent that Grant Fisher has? Like he's just no. natural talent. Yeah. Well, and he clearly works really hard too. Um, yeah, that's I, true. I, I, I'm glad that he has been able to continue to perform and insulate himself from the drama of the Bowerman track club. Yep. Um, which, well, I mean, that's impressive. Um, of course, I say that and maybe he would be even better if he was with, you know, 10 man elite or whoever. But um, but but he, uh, you know, that Bowman Track Club has been like falling apart and having all sorts of people leave and all sorts of things going on. And, and he continues to run American records and world beating times and, and performances. That's super impressive, man. Yeah, that is impressive. It'll be yeah. interesting to see what happens to him as Jerry and Shalane and Bowman Track Club kind of join forces with uh university of oregon and yeah. make that move from portland to eugene but yes yeah, he's fun to watch uh so close but no cigar but hopefully next time <laughs> yeah yeah i know he's feeling that way um, yeah yeah for sure um all right back to sprints we're going to talk about the we can talk about the men's 400 hurdles okay so the men's 400 hurdles were fascinating because because you had rye benjamin um, who last year finished second, got the silver medal at the Olympic Games behind Karsten Warholm in a stunningly good performance by Warholm. Um, and, and he uh, was upset about that. Um, uh, Rye Benjamin was. Uh, he ran under the world record at the time, but of course, Karsten Warholm, Warholm beat the world record in order to beat him. Um, and And... Um, he was upset about that. He cried about it on the track. He was super emotional about it and all that sort of thing. This time, um, he ended up finishing second again. Um, and um, who what was the name of the guy who beat him? 
I don't remember. I'm trying to Google it literally as I was talking and I just couldn't do it. Alison Dos Santos. Um, this time he finished second behind Alison Dos Santos from Brazil, who had finished third in the Olympic Games. Um, and he was fired up. He was um, so stoked. Yeah. And, and it was cool because he finished uh, second. Um, and then uh, another American who was in the race uh, finished third. Um, and so he was all fired up for him. Um, it seemed like he was excited or as excited about that as he had been for, for his own performance there. Um, he was a super happy for Trevor Bassett was the name of the other guy who finished third from the United States. Um, but it brought back to me how situational or how contextual like your performances are, you know, sure. that, that he had had COVID and he evidently had it pretty bad fairly recently. And then he had a, a hamstring that was bothering him that flared up a little bit during the semifinals. And so given all of that, he was psyched that he was able to finish second here um, at the world championships after last year when he had been healthy um, and had run faster than the world record at the time and finished second then. And he was like disappointed and emotional and crying. You know? Yeah, it was great to see him happy with his result and yeah. uh, just happy to share the podium with his teammates. So. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that last year, um, um, not that I blame him or, or, or think that his, his response was inappropriate or anything like that from last year, but it was just it was cool to see him feeling more celebratory. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, because he's he's clearly a, a, a brilliant runner. Um, and Carson Moreholm, by the way, who had also been injured, um, uh, went out hard, went out fast and really faded. Um, and just even though died. he was a- able to make the final, um, just had nothing left in the last 100 meters of the 400 meter hurdles, um, and was ultimately not a factor at the finish line. Um, so, so yeah, for Rye Benjamin to do that was, was very cool. And it's, and like I said, an important reminder of how, um, how much context to- matters when it yeah. comes to assessing your performance. But every world medal should be celebrated. Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, a good reminder that, um, yeah, he, you would have thought he won gold for sure. Um, so it was great to see him like that. It was cool. But, and it's always fun, too, to see see people that are fired up for their uh, for their teammates, um, for sure, for sure. Um, all right, a couple more. What were some of your other favorites? Um, so I would say the 4x100 relay for the U.S. women. Um, obviously, Jamaica went into the 4x1 heavy favorite. They swept the 100-meter. Um, they got gold and silver in the 200 but us like we just had an amazing team and it was probably one of the bigger upsets of the meet um edging jamaica for gold uh by like 0.04 of a second um mm-hmm. so i thought that was super fun to watch it was um and then we already talked about the four by four but if i was going to pick three so my third one was actually a field event um mm-hmm. so women's javelin last throw of kara winger's career um she gets a medal it's the first world medal for a U.S. Uh, women's thrower. And she just, in the sixth round, I mean, I actually rewatched it before we recorded. And, you know, I mean, she's going out, she's retiring. She's got, I think, nine U.S. titles. She is probably one of the best javelin throwers in history, um, but never had that, never had that world medal. And her very last throw of her career, I mean, she just, And you could, I think you could tell she knew right away she had thrown something special and it just landed so far, uh, 
you know, so much further than that silver medal line. And there just weren't enough people after her that she was going to lose the medal. And just seeing that and watching someone go out, you know, very few people to, it's one thing to choose when you end your career that that's lucky, but to end your career on top like that, um, to have, you know, like one of the pinnacle moments, uh, is just, it was, it's, it was one of my favorite moments. So very cool. Very cool. Um, one more thing I'll say about the world championship. Um, have you ever heard of Ashland University? Sure. Yeah, they did pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so I dare say that there's probably plenty of people that haven't heard of Ashland well, University in Ohio, I mean, I... United States. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know. Private Christian University founded in 1878. Um, let's see how many students are currently at Ashland University. Um, they walked away with some hardware. Yeah, they're, they're Division II. They're, they're the Eagles. Um, they have 6,662 students, so only 6,000 students there. Uh, but we mentioned Trevor Bassett just a minute ago. Um, he won bronze in the 400-meter hurdles. And then you also had uh, Kate, uh, Katie, Katie Najet. Yep. Um, who won gold in the women's pole vault. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we could talk about Katie for a few, you know, Katie and um, Sandy Morris and all of the nation's top pole vaulters actually train right here, right by you, George, um, up in, in Marietta, up mm -hmm. in Marietta. Um, and, you know, they all followed, uh, Katie followed a coach. He moved here to go to life college to become a chiropractor, Brad. And, and now he has a whole group. He's got, you know, the nation's best pole vaulters up in freaking Marietta, Georgia. Who wants to live right in Marietta, Georgia? Can you imagine? That's <laughs> no. a really good school system. <laughs> I, I mean, I was like raised through it, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you weren't. You were the Cobb County school system. Much different. Oh, that's true. That is a good point. <laughs> um, but my address was Marietta, Georgia. I'm going to take a little bit of ownership over this. There you okay. Go. So um, Katie won gold and the Olympics, and she has really struggled since Tokyo with just that kind of um, post-Olympic depression and really, you know, barely, barely made an indoor team, um, barely made this team really. And she came out and she just, it looked like she had just kind of found her old self again and walked away with a gold medal. And I think a little disappointing for Sandy Morris, but Sandy had such a disappointing Tokyo that, you know, to come back and, um, be the U.S. champion and have a gold medal from indoors. She, that gold medal, that outdoor title does seem to elude Sandy. But yeah, Katie was uh, an Ashland graduate. So whatever Ashland's doing, their track and field program is pretty good. I'd want to go to Ashland. <laughs> <laughs> You'd want to go to a private Christian there. school in Ohio? <laughs> yeah, it probably wouldn't work out so well, but, <laughs> you know. Um, no, they just must have a really good culture, you know, around uh, – getting their their athletes ready for just the senior level so absolutely very good very good oh man what am i gonna do now michelle <laughs> well you're gonna put your kids to bed <laughs> yeah because i gotta go to school tomorrow such a bummer august my birthday's on sunday so there's that um, um this one right here is allowed to stay up till nine o'clock tonight so she's milking it for all it's worth right very good. Very good. Uh, Michelle's daughter is with her. You might've heard playing games in the background here over the course of the last few minutes. So, Oh, because we didn't hear any of your kids. In the last few minutes. <laughs> we always hear my it's a, kids. It's a family affair. So, absolutely. Absolutely. We are nothing if not family friendly. Did you see where the, uh, the winner of the first uh, yellow Jersey at the Tour de France films, the Beck Swift brought her, uh, brought her baby up on the podium with her. 
No, and now I feel even worse that I didn't watch it. And he was wearing he was wearing a little yellow shirt and he was not happy about being there. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one of the images that stuck into my mind from that particular race. And while Van Art, you know, has a son that's only one year old, do you know what his name is? I do not. George. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And on that note, I think we're done here. (laughs) On that note, Michelle, thank you for being with me. Yeah. Have a good night. Thanks, everybody. Okay, bye. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter, at itlcoaching, on Facebook, at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com. Facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter at official SlayRx. And Instagram, here for SlayRx. The number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.